Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Umarpreneur podcast. Today I'm very excited to actually have a conversation with Link Outside. And Link Outside is an organization that specifically helps incarcerated Muslims, men and women across the United States, to actually reintegrate into society. And I want to talk to them today about how they're actually doing this, what's the process behind it all, and also what is driving them, what's the mission behind this business and how they're able to accomplish it. So with me, I have uh, Brother Amin, who is the CEO. Amin, salam alaikum. Welcome to the podcast. Alaikum alaikum Awesome. And I also have with me, Jesse was the CFO of the, uh, of the organization as well. Assalamu alaikum, Jesse. Welcome to the podcast, brother. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you both. So I guess I want to start by really asking you guys as a first question, if you can tell me more about Link Outside, just share a little bit more about what it is that you guys do, uh, what is the purpose behind the organization, what you hope to achieve, inshallah. All right. Bismillah wa salatu wa salam wa rasulullah wa ala alihi wa sallam. So in a very brief nutshell, you know, Link Outside is basically like a prison outreach program or like a prison ministry. Um, and that's really how we speak. I guess got started, which was we saw a need where there were not only tens of thousands, but really hundreds of thousands of incarcerated Muslims or even Muslims who've just been formerly incarcerated that were really lacking just basic, um, not only Islamic knowledge um, and, and information, but just really a sense of community, a sense of belonging. So we, we saw that need for it. And that was really how we started. And so some of the things that we ended up developing from this program um, really on, in a very organic grassroots way is um, uh, prison mail correspondence. So when people write to, um, to write to us, we can address them either as, like a, as a counselor or providing them with re resources. We do free book donations, Islamic studies courses that are done through distance learning. And uh, when individuals start coming home, we have a process to help guide them through that whether they come home locally to where we're based out of in Southern California or, the, or to another state, but we, we want to basically be there from the beginning, from when they're incarcerated to the time they come home so that they feel that they have the support of a community, that, that they're not all alone and they're by themselves. And Jesse, mm -hmm. if you want to add anything else to that too. No, I, um, I think one of the things that we offer that's probably one of the most important, if not the most important and unique is love. Ultimately, a lot of these individuals have never had a hug um, from maybe a father, many, many people, actually many individuals who are incarcerated don't have any, their fatherless home. And also too, they grew up in situations where, uh, you know, the living situations weren't the best, um, maybe a single parent household or mother that it was in distress. And many of them have felt neglected period point blank, not only from the family, but just from society. Uh, most of the times, a lot of the different schools that they actually went to didn't have any real um, level of nurturing or really caring about the specific uh, the person's specific circumstances and so the jig kind of just pushed them through um, the school and many of them had you know learning I guess you would say quote-unquote disabilities that were actually really um, strengths if just properly tended to and so that pushed them out into the street so we're the first people sometimes uh, one of the you know one of the responses I got back when I did a prison visit one time was like that you were one of the first people to actually like men to actually hug me and so uh, Link outside is more like a link to the heart a little bit more than I would say than anything else because all the services that we provide, ultimately we're trying to uh, turn over the heart to something that's really powerful. Okay. And is this something that you founded together with Amin or did Amin spearhead this or was it originally there and you guys took it over? Can you share some background on how it started? 
Yeah, so I, I'll give you how it kind of how it all started. Uh, one of my friends, um, Rubin, um, I used to live in uh, Connecticut, in Danbury, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And I had recently, I was incarcerated for 10 years myself. I took my Shahada when I was actually incarcerated in about 2008. <clears throat> and then when I got home in 2012, I had a actual Muslim um, neighbor, which was very interesting because that's not, it's, you know, there's not a lot of Muslims in, in Danbury, Connecticut. So long story short, what ended up happening, we ran into each other one day and actually went for a workout together. And he told me all about his experience in California, how it was like the Mecca of, you know, the United States for Muslims and things of that nature. And it kind of intrigued me. But he told me about that he had actually done prison visits uh, back and forth to the different local county jails in in Anaheim, California, and that he had actually kind of handed it off to one of his friends, Amin. And that he said that he thought it would be a pretty good fit for me to go into that community, study and do these different things. So how we all how we met basically is that I took his advice. I actually packed all my stuff, drove out to California, lived at a campsite for some time and started studying Arabic and other um, disciplines and then got involved with Amin uh, to doing the prison outreach uh, program. And so it was called Link Outside already when I got there, but we were getting probably like one or two letters, maybe every other week or something like that. And then it just, we just came together. I kind of explained some of the programming and, and the different things that would be needed. And Amin put his beautiful uh, corporate cap on and started structuring things in Excel sheets and all these other things that I had never understood at that time, um, just coming out of prison and being in like this, you know, tucked away cave for some time with technology. So he exposed me to a whole nother world of organizing things and structuring things and templating things so that we can have the highest impact. And so now we're at reaching thousands of individuals uh, per year. And, and we, I think we just did our totality of how many books we donated. It was like almost 30,000 books now. Wow. Amazing, mashallah. So let me ask you this. Why do you feel like there's a need for this in the first place? Do you feel like that? Do you feel like this as a community that's generally um, underserved or ignored by the, by the larger ummah uh, when it comes to incarcerated Muslims? I think there's a statement by Marutul Hajj, uh, Rahimullah, which was... Uh, I think Sheikh Hamza Yusuf's teacher, I remember hearing this, um, he said a pretty interesting thing. He said that he saw that the people who inherit this deen are the most underserved and oppressed. Mm-hmm. And so the reason why I'm mentioning that actual quote is because I think sometimes one of the reasons, not only that it's the most neglected community, but it's also to has the most potential, um, especially when you see a lot of the actual uh, relevant, or I should say popular culture, many of the individuals uh, that you see behind in the prisons actually define that culture. And it's probably one of the most popular cultures, whether it be hip hop, you know, whatever that you want to say now. Um, and for whatever reason, especially in this country, um, some of the most resilient revolutionary mindsets come out of it, in any country period, I should say, come from the prisons, right? That actually make powerful change. And it was one letter that changed uh, Malik Shabazz or better known as Malcolm X, Rahim Allah's life, right? And then ultimately subsequently changed a whole generation and i think it's the times a lot of times when you see the prophet who he invested in it was these people that would probably look like in the cell you know in the in the prison cell that he, there were her, his friends and that he was really working with along and then ultimately become the best so i think i'll let amin uh comment on why he thinks so but I, you know i think we shared this kind of same um position yeah i mean it's definitely um probably one of the most neglected elements or like components of our community and i can just even tell you from the perspective of a second generation uh, immigrant muslim you know that had a very suburban middle class lifestyle 
this was something that we rarely heard about, you know, whether we're going to our masajid or listening to a khutbah, you would rarely hear any kind of stories. And in fact, the funny thing is, is that kind of piggybacking off of what Jesse was saying, my initial interest was peaked through popular culture, whether, you know, as a child who grew up in the 90s, you know, um, remembering when Mike Tyson, who, um, you know, heavyweight boxing champion, became Muslim or took his Shahada in prison. That was a huge, that was a huge a moment. And not only that, but, you know, you had um, you know, artists, hip hop artists, um, athletes becoming Muslim. And a lot of that, a, a lot of them were somehow tied to, you know, incarcerations, incarcerated system. So it was really a blessing from Allah that um, I connected with the, the, the mutual friend that um, Jesse mentioned, Rabin, because other than, uh, other than what Rabin was doing, I did not know of anyone, at least in our area, that was actively doing it in a in a in an organized enough way where you can you can kind of go go in and join them. I'm sure there are people who were doing, um, you know, this type of work, but it was something like you had to know somebody and you had to like, you know, uh, get connected through them. But in, in this environment, he was he was open to anybody who wanted to join. There were you know, uh, advertising it in the community. So. Just to answer your question, it is absolutely ne neglected, and you know, it's just I think a blessing from Allah that you know He brought you know individuals, you know, honored us to actually get involved in this work because this is, this is probably one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done, to be quite honest. What made you What made you decide to actually build this into the nonprofit that it is today? Because it's one thing to say I want to support. Uh, a community that's underserved uh, within the Ummah and I want to help, you know, the Muslims that are in prison that don't necessarily have those connections, that don't have those family ties, etc. Um, but then to actually go and say, well, you know what, let's actually systemize this. Let's turn this into a nonprofit. Let's try to bring more awareness to this and let's try to get more support and, and really potentially build this into a system of support for this, these people. Like what sparked this idea and then that motivation to follow through on that commitment? Because, you know, people get ideas every single day, but it's rare that we actually take take action on them, right? So what made you take action on the actual idea that you had of saying, let's turn this into a system, turn this into a nonprofit? Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. I would I would definitely say that there were a lot of key factors in my life. Uh, first and foremost, being my father and um, his background is, you know, first generation immigrant um, from Iraq and, you know, had fled um, due to, you know, the, the political situation there in the 80s. And uh, one of the things that he did in, when, he, when he moved, he, to the United States was, um, you know, get politically involved in Iraq um, politics and and um, but not just necessarily just you know writing a letter or picketing, but like organizing it, like creating a five hundred one c three and getting um, incorporated in in the state, you know, filing um, you know all your your tax exempt paperwork. So I saw that from him that when he had something that he was passionate about that he believed was going to make change that he did it in a systemized way so that for me that was like something that he was he always taught us to not just do something like with a half effort but like to do it in an organized structured way so he you know he, he really just um pounded that into me and then mm. uh as uh i got older i ended up working for a fortune 500 utility company and again uh, one of the blessings of that is that you see that they don't do business just haphazardly. Like there's structures, there's documentation. So I was taking all those things and I and I and it just really became natural for me to say, hey, instead of just doing this as a shoestring kind of uh operation, you know, why don't we actually put some of the, some structure to it? 
And to answer the question, what motivated me to do that? Because it did take a lot of work and actually takes, you know, for folks who love doing this work, love getting their hands dirty, so to speak, you know, in, in, in outreach, the, the work of structuring it, documenting it, you know, all that, it's not very attractive. Like, you know, mm -hmm. you want to be there spending your time doing the work. But what yeah. attracted me and motivated me was just the thought of like, look, if we were to actually organize this, make this systematic, we can now be able to operate more efficiently and get more work done. We could, you know, be able to get more resources. And by doing all those things, now we can help more people. So I was never satisfied with like, okay, hey, we're doing we're doing some prison visits. We're maybe seeing 20, 30, 40, 50 people. No, I want to be like, no, I want to increase. I want to double. I want to triple it because the, the need is so great. Like you really, you really ought to just keep upping your game because that just means more people that you're going to be able to positively impact. Uh, I don't know if Jesse, you want to add anything on top of that before I, uh, yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, um, I think lived experience uh, was one of the motivations and knowing the need and the potential that was there just from being in the place. Um, also too, one of the things that I think made us or the tipping point was for us to become a nonprofit ourselves is actually, unfortunately, a little bit of the lack of the understanding of the community, especially when it comes to, cause we prime uh, first we're working with in, in tandem with the Masajid, mm -hmm. um, and a message, I should say, I'm sorry. Um, and that was went really well. We had good support for some time. And I think the visions just ultimately started to change a little bit when they started, because the, I guess the running uh, objectives or goals, a lot of times of certain communities is to buy property and to do these different things. And um, we had a different um, idea of that we need to invest a little bit more in the people now that we've gotten past that point. And so that was the that was the real tipping point of uh, us kind of like really going into the field saying look that we need to not just work we need to work in this capacity to really promote you know investing in the people so that was one of the the things to bring it to our own 501c3 because we saw that you know the visions and the objectives were changing just a little bit even though everybody wants to do good towards people um the strategies in which we do that you know uh, can have consequences too if we don't do it well I'm going to ask you this, and I know it might feel like a bit of a loaded question, and it is open-ended, but uh, for someone like yourself, Jesse, you mentioned you were on the inside, and you discovered Islam. Did you discover Islam on the inside, or was it after you uh, you came out? No, no, no. I discovered Islam on the inside. Right. So, um, so yeah, I was serving a 12-year sentence. Um, I was, a, I guess you would say, a, a street entrepreneur at one point um, before Islam, and um, I paid very heavily for that reality. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, I found Islam inside and it was actually the character of the Muslims that really uh, changed my life. Um, the brothers were very not only sincere, um, compassionate and, and full of humility, but also, too, they were very knowledge orientated. You know, what I mean, like they were very uh, directing themselves towards really seeking knowledge and becoming better individuals within side of that actual quest in and of itself. So that was the, the tipping point. And so one handed me a Quran one day and I read it and I remember reading from, from front to back because especially in prison, we have so much time, right? So it was like, I think it was like a day I was done. And I remember crying at the end of the reading and it was just a tipping point in my life. And one of the first things was when obviously for most Muslims who know who, who read the Quran, um, it's in Surah Al-Baqarah, right? Which was uh, that, you know, that uh, this is a book in which there is no doubt. And I said, this is one of the most profound statements for a book to make this statement. It's basically telling you that you're not going to find any doubt within this whole thing. And then, so I've seen that reality. So it's been mm -hmm. really profound. SubhanAllah. So for someone that's been there, that's been, you know, that you've actually seen the Muslims that are there within the prisons, 
for, for someone like me that's listening to this and that obviously is, is far away from this world, um, I, I'm very curious to know, and I'm sure our listeners are curious to know as well, there's two things that come to mind. Number one is, what do you feel like these Muslims were lacking that made them get there in the first place? And then, and then number two, now that they're in there, what should we be doing as a community to help make sure that we kind of minimize the number of Muslims going in and make sure that we support the ones that are going out? Mm. Those are, I know those are two questions in one, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, should, I, I think the first thing is to keep in mind that 97% of the brothers and sisters who are incarcerated that identify with Islam are actually converts. That's number one. So they didn't go in as Muslims, right? So um, I think that's one of the biggest things to keep in mind because this is a person who has found something in the, I guess you would say in the depths of despair and the depths of actually finally just bottoming out now that they're actually looking at truth. And that now there's a huge opportunity because many of these individuals, whether they be educated or not, actually are, you know, there's tons of raw potential there when it comes to, whether it begins, you know, intellectually, physically, emotionally. And many of these individuals that are incarcerated also too have a lot of profound gifts when it comes to actually mobilizing and being in leadership roles, especially in California. A lot of individuals who are Muslim were prior gang members and actually some very high ranking ones as well. And so they know how to mobilize people. They know how to bring people together. Also too, they know how to quell situations and actually uh, quote definitely, um, I guess you say put out fires that, tons of different people are actually dealing with, meaning like a whole massive group of people is actually dealing with a big problem that's actually gonna to come to a boiling point. Um, another thing is that this is the one place in the universe probably now, amongst other places, but one of the few places in the universe now that actually is desensitized. So we have an actual opportunity to not only educate, but also to have these people finally feel emotion and begin to actually work on that and become something really profound. And I think the, the one example is like Malcolm X. That's just one. I mean, there's many others as well. And so one of the things that we should do is we definitely should um, want to support helping to educate these individuals, not just from a, like an academic realm that they're going to become a scholar, but also to like becoming, you know, emotionally literate. This is really one of the biggest things so that they not only can control their anger, but they can become optimistic. They can become hopeful. They can become loving. And ultimately that we have a chance to change a demographic of the country too as well, because unfortunately a majority of the people who are incarcerated are black and brown. And this is actually one of the demographics of the country that is very receptive to Islam, whether it be from the Latino side, whether it be from the black side, and also to these are the differently the cultures that influence our youth the most. Um, and if we don't solve this problem, it ultimately will become our own as well, because if the more that we become isolated as a community and not begin to engage with these communities, it's kind of like, I think there was on, you probably saw it maybe on the internet the other day, they talked about the cell, the actual biological cell in the human, in the human body, mm -hmm. that they didn't study if they isolate it, it becomes dysfunctional. But once it joins the group and begins to work with the other deficiencies of the cells, it actually becomes stronger. Right. So that's kind of the, 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 the mindset I think we should have as a community and, and begin to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just, you know, to add to that, too, because, you know, just to be honest, getting involved in this work may not be for everyone, like to be able to go and do a visit or, you know, volunteer. It may not be for everyone. But what everyone can do is if you have an individual in your community that maybe was formerly incarcerated or just, you know, 
somebody who's just gone through a lot of trauma, but just to be there for them, creating a welcoming environment, you know, just showing them that brotherly or sisterly love for them. And if let's just say you're in a community where you don't see that, because maybe it's, you know, a, a part of town where that, that's just not a reality, I would say I would encourage individuals to find your you know, miss inner city masjid or, you know, a, a place where maybe you do, you will find those places and, and take a little bit of a chance and go out there and, and you know, you know, the, you'll be surprised. Some of the warmest receptions I've ever had in terms of like visiting a, a, a masjid have been in these, you know, inner city masjid or, you know, pretty, which are primarily um, black Muslim um, communities. And I think those types of interactions are really profound. And I think that's, for the average person out there, that's one of the things that you can do to really make a, an impact in the community. Mm -hmm. Have you ever, uh, let me ask you this, is there like a certain moment or kind of memorable experience interaction that you've had, uh, whether it's yourself, Amin, or, or yourself, Jesse, um, with someone who's converted to Islam that has that have maybe felt like there wasn't that support? Um, and I just want you to share that so that maybe someone listening can hear that and can maybe kind of put a face to the name, if that makes sense. Put, you know, how can we connect more with those people that are on the inside that are struggling and that need that support so that we can then kind of be moved towards action? Because there's nothing that moves us towards action stronger than emotion and connecting with people. And so I want to know if there's an interaction or something that stands out to you um, from someone that's on the inside that hasn't really been getting that support that once they got in touch with you guys, got in touch with Link Outside, it, it, it made such a big transformation, such a big shift in their lives, if there's something that you can share with me. You know, to pinpoint one individual person, um, you know, will be difficult, but I can say there's probably many that fit this mold. Um, you know, there was one, his name is Dawood or David Barnett from Maryland. And, um, you know, one of the things that really profound me, I mean, almost really broke my heart is, you, you know, um, one of the letters he wrote us was basically saying like, um, you know, I've been trying for years to just get basic uh, interaction with the outside Muslim community. I don't know how many years, but like, it seemed like he had, done, he, he had been in prison for over 10 years. So you, you can be talking about a decade. And he literally said that I had written two close to a hundred Islamic centers across the country. Wow, I'm trying to think about that right now. Like he doesn't have even access to like a search engine, but he's just, he's somehow finding names and addresses of Islamic centers and he's writing. And, and when we say writing, we're not like, you know, typing it on an email or on your smartphone. Like this is literally a person with a pen and paper writing a message and then copy that same message, writing a second one and a third one and a hundred, you know, to, to a hundred. And, and he said, you were the only one that responded. And I'm thinking to myself, like, how do more, I mean, commit, maybe many of us have gone and done, like, let's say, uh, applied for jobs, you know, and some of us maybe have gone through like four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 rejections. And, you know, that, that demoralizes you at some point, even if you're resilient and you're confident and you believe in yourself, but that, that there's, there's something that, about that, that really just, you know, really just could be devastating. So when someone tells me he wrote to a hundred massage, and I'm thinking he writes the letter, he sends it out, he's waiting. Okay, you know, a week goes by, two weeks, a month, two months. He's thinking maybe, maybe there's still some hope they're gonna eventually get to it. A second letter, a third letter, and then now you're out like at a hundred. For me, that was just really devastating. And you know, by connecting with us, you know, we have a policy where we will respond or address every single letter that comes to us. 
you know, and Jesse can tell you many of them that, he's, that he sees. So the fact that now this person, he can write to us, he, get, he gets a book, he gets classes, he just gets someone to talk to. I mean, sometimes that's more valuable than, um, uh, you know, like taking a, a, a big class. For me, that was like, wow, like this, this, this really is having an impact on somebody. And, and I never, until he said, until he described it like that, I, I would have never imagined how profound it, it could be on some people. So that's just, I think, you know, one example I'd give and, you know, Jesse, if you want to add to that, go for it. Yeah, I think I can give a, a little, paint a little picture. Um, I remember one time um, I was in Cheshire, Connecticut, um, incarcerated at that time. And there's a certain facility called Cheshire CI. Um, and I was there and me and another brother named Eric, um, he actually was the, he was like the scribe for the community. So he wrote really beautiful letters. And one of the things that he did, he wrote, I think it was like the 20 or I think it may have been 17 at that time, um, mosques in Connecticut. And we got one reply from one in the, one mosque and it was a brief letter and he didn't have the real um, resources to really handle like what we were asking and we weren't asking much, but he didn't have the resources to handle, but he did what he could. And as when I got released, um, I've seen, especially from the letters, so many places throughout the United States of America where the brothers tell us for the first time, or sisters as well, this is the first, these are the first people that actually responded to us. Or like if we send a book donation into a place that actually asked for it, that this is the first time that we've ever gotten Qurans at this facility. But I think one of the biggest things that leave off at one story, um, I used to um, volunteer at a prison called Lancaster in California for a long time. And one of the things that the, the brothers told us that were there for some time, they had been incarcerated. There was a lot of what they call long timers, which means they did probably 15, 20 years and, and things of that nature that they used to have years ago, maybe like in the nineties and stuff like that. They had brothers come up and visit them a couple of times and they would tell them though, that they were not really Muslim until they got home. And I think that was one of the most um, devastating stories I have heard that your Islam didn't count until you got home. And so I could imagine what, because they, they told me what that did to them, that they always, it put them always in a place of self-doubt. It put them always in a place of discouragement. It put them in a place of feeling like they were inauthentic, right? Because they took these individuals as authorities because they're coming from the outside. And especially when you're incarcerated and you have that mindset, anybody who comes from the outside or that comes in to volunteer, um, comes in with a position of authority and so they they said that they had so many problems with with um, those type of mindsets sometimes coming in and then for the longest time nobody came and actually volunteered at all right so uh, that was one of the most I would say devastating stories I heard because I couldn't imagine that coming in and then just saying hey look this doesn't count you know right, right. For, um, for someone to feel like I, they yeah sorry I was just gonna say like for someone to feel like their Islam wasn't um you know it wasn't real essentially it's uh it's, it's different. Yeah, yeah 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 so unfortunately i think sometimes um our community has that mindset uh, maybe the older generation uh, that you know, who are the you know like because like even like i think when i hit hit you with the statistic of 97 percent convert a lot of people don't know that that these individuals didn't even hear about islam or maybe they had a umar in their in their neighborhood or a muhammad but they didn't know what it was you know what i mean and now they've actually converted, you know, so that's a different storyline period. That's not like a person who was a Muslim got trouble, even though that can happen too. And it's not the worst thing in the world, but 
it, it's a different story a lot of times. It's it's this first beginning, you know. So that's all for sure. What is it that you guys, you know, now that you're on on this podcast and we are having this discussion, I mean, when when um when I when I saw what Brother I mean was doing, and I think it was the Instagram uh page that I that I stumbled on. That was the first thing that I stumbled on for you guys. And I was looking at, you know, the posts that you guys were sharing, the work that you guys were doing, mashallah, and immediately, immediately I was like, these are people that I want to highlight, these are people that I want to showcase and I want to support. So now that you guys are on this podcast, what is it that you feel like the community can do, the people listening to this can do to support you guys? and continuing to do your work? Should we tell them to go to a certain website? Should we tell them to donate? What's the best and most impactful way for them to support you guys? I was just going to say, first off, make du'a for not only us, but just for this cause, you know, for all of the incarcerated Muslims across the country, across the world, just really just never neglect the power of du'a because that moves mountains. Uh, I just wanted to start off with that, Jesse. You want to continue it from there. Yeah, no, I was about to say, um, that, Alhamdulillah, thank you for uh, putting that because the the power of dua is is very important. Um, and our spiritual connection and, and asking Allah as a wajah to have sincerity um, for us in this cause, meaning that not only the people who are doing it sincere, but also to that we have um, a type of heart that is actually attached to are concerned about these realities. That's another thing because they're they're unseen, you know, so that Allah as a wajah allow us to continue to have hearts that see this as an actual um, situation that needs to be amended or a, a, a cause that needs to be uh, fulfilled. So not only that, we have a website, www.linkoutside.com. Um, you can go and there's a donate button too as well um, that you can scroll down and actually go uh, go and touch on and, and donate generously. That's another thing. But also to, to know that um, these causes, there's only maybe two other programs in the country that are doing this. Um, we're probably us and another uh, foundation called Taba Foundation is the only ones that are doing this. And there's literally 300,000 individuals, if not more, that identify with Islam within the United States of America in the prison systems. And so even with two foundations, you're only there's still tons of work to go around. And many of our foundations that you'll see or any of the even the little hometown causes um, actually have the remedy to actually handle great amounts of workload. We have the templates for doing the work. We also do even, like you said, have a social media um, presence as well. We just don't have the resources to expand on these things. So I give you an example, like our social media stuff, it could use a huge revamping to even touch more people. We just don't have the financial resources to have somebody full-time doing it, doing the proper marketing behind it. Even with our uh, educational system that we have, we have all uh, many of the courses that we can develop even more. And we have so much more to touch more people. We just, it's the financial resources actually that we need to scale up to take it to the next level. Um, and like I said, it's not a sexy, attractive cause many times, you know, when you talk about youth or you talk about feeding the homeless and things of that nature, those are like a lot easier causes to speak about, especially on like a launch good or a different a donation platform. But this is actually something that's, as much needed um, and not and be honest with you if properly invested in would probably have a higher impact when it comes to helping those other causes as well because you'll be making uh producing stable and then also to financially stable individuals that are going to produce in the zakat realm as well mm -hmm. if we do this well 100 percent. you know so yeah so um that's just kind of what i would say is just if, we, if people can support this cause and even if they can't so like they, they still want to know about more reach out to us talk to us, um, hit us up on via email at info at linkoutside.com. Um, at Gmail, sorry, at gmail.com. And <laughs> at link, yep. linkoutside.com. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, just you know, to add to that too. Yeah. So, and just to add to that too, you know, one of the best ways to to really feel that you can help out is just being aware of it and check out our Instagram page at instagram.com um, slash link outside. We also have a Facebook page and link outside prison. And that, that you get a lot of videos about some of the things we see. We get maybe somehow to give you pictures of the letters that we get. So just checking that, following us and reading some of the content that, that we're putting out there, I think makes it a little bit more real. Mm. And then it makes it easier to feel like, okay, this is something that I need to do, you know, do something about. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, we're definitely going to make sure to include those. Uh, if you're listening or if you're watching, check the episode notes. If you're listening, uh, if you're watching, check the description, but check out linkoutside.com and really go ahead and support with whatever you can, because as you guys mentioned, most of the time we tend to go for supporting when it comes to, you know, uh, people in poverty, supporting people who need food, people, people who need shelter, but there's also so many people right here in our backyard, right? Uh, in the U S even I live in Canada. I know, I know it's also a problem in Canada as well, that there are so many Muslims in these prison systems, Muslims that are converting uh, to Islam, and then they don't have the support. They don't have the necessary information. They don't have the necessary contacts to be able to actually continue to remain on the path. And so a lot of people, uh, actually what happens is when they get out, uh, or even before they get out, if they don't have those connections, they don't have that support system, they end up leaving Islam, right? They might join it, then and ultimately they end up leaving it. So it's really important for us to be able to provide them with that support and, and not only make them feel like, Yes, alhamdulillah, like you've, you've found Allah, you found the truth, but you've also found a community, you found a brotherhood, right? And that's also so important for these people. Um, so is there a question that I maybe didn't ask for you guys that you'd like to share with our listeners, with the Ummah, with the general audience today um, about your cause, about what you do, anything that you feel like we might have not touched upon? No, I, I, think, I think, well, I think for me, I just want to just say one statement sure. and maybe they can put, put this up wherever, is that, I can tell the community, um, inshallah ta'ala, pretty confidently that if we invest in these types of causes and these individuals, you will see a response. You will see an amazing response. And not only will you see a response for changing probably about three generations of their life, but also to it will produce the needed, it has the needed people and you will begin to meet the needed people to help quell some of the situations that you're seeing, such as like in Canada, right, with the Somalian community and what's going on with the gang violence there, you will see the needed individuals that will, or you will see the individuals uh, become forth that are going to help begin to basically, I guess you would say, heal some of the situations that we see with our youth that are going into this actual, some of these parts of our culture that are just disastrous, that are gonna to lead to something real big. And you're gonna need that unique individual, that unique personality, that's going to be able to look at things from an alternative perspective yeah. that looks at it from a different place of actual experiential knowledge and not just they shouldn't be doing this or they shouldn't be doing that. But, OK, how did he get into this and where is he at inside of his mind or she at inside of his mind to take him out? So I would mm -hmm. say that, please keep that in mind, because we're facing this more and more, especially here in the Western Hemisphere and uh, all the problematic and different things that come forth with this whole society as well as Muslims. Yeah, hundred percent. I totally agree with you. And I add one more thing to that is that as a community, sometimes like even myself, when I first started, I, I kind of thought of it like these people who are incarcerated or coming home, they need us. Like I'm doing them a favor in, in a way. And I realized later is that actually it's the opposite. The community, the Muslim community in North America, we need them. And what do I mean by that is that 
one of the things I can tell you from my personal experience, my family and other people I know, is that by the time you get to the second and third generation of immigrant Muslims, so now you have three generations, the level of practicing, the level of identifying as Muslim decreases. And it's just a, it's just a reality. And we have cases of communities that came here at the turn of the 20th century that by like third or fourth generation, there were just a small handful that were remaining practicing identified as Islam. Sometimes in cases, they actually closed the masajid. And we sometimes feel we like take that for granted. We say, wow, there's they're building another masjid and look at there's another, you know, um, you know, some people are showing up for Eid, for Tarawiyah prayers, for Juma prayers. And we don't realize is that what's going to happen two, three, four generations from now? The reality is, is that we're very likely going to face a decline, especially as you see the increase in secularism and atheism that are really taking a lot of our own family members, community members in that direction. 100%. And these individuals who have accepted Islam in prison, who come home, they have some of the most passion, some of the most um, drive to actually go back into the community. And these are the individuals that if we give them a position in the community, a role, that these are the individuals I think they could actually re regenerate interest. The youth are going to be interested in them. They have a way of appealing to them. So we actually need them more than we than uh, they need us. Mm -hmm. And I think the the future of the Ummah really is going to be largely impacted by them. SubhanAllah. That's, that's a really, really beautiful point that you made. I mean, so thank you. And I completely agree with you said, with what you said wholeheartedly. Um, honestly, guys, thank you so much for joining me today, for sharing some of your time uh, with me and for sharing some of your story. And uh, Link Outside is definitely an organization that I 100% endorse, 100% support. And uh, if you're listening to this, please go ahead and check them out, linkoutside.com, and go ahead and donate whatever you can. Or if you know someone that can help out, they need some help with marketing, branding, social media, then send them their way, have them volunteer so they can help out, inshallah. And I'm going to make a little post in my community. Um, we have a little community platform with about 3,000 entrepreneurs. I'll make a little post in there and see if we can get you guys a little social media revamp on the house. We'll, we'll try to bring something out, inshallah. Alhamdulillah. All right, thank you guys so much. And hopefully we'll get to talking again soon. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum.